Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is currently available as a video. So if you want to check us out in all our glory, then please head over to youtube.com at Poddywood. For now though, enjoy the episode. Hello once again, everybody, to another episode of Poddywood, the show where we talk about movies, sometimes with the people who make movies. Right now, though, I am your co-host, Steve Hester, and joining me, as always, is... What an energetic opening, Steve. Maybe you overshot just a little from where we were five minutes ago. Yes, I don't know, it's, it's the sugar. Oh, bloody peanut M&Ms. They're not even a sponsor. That's I know they're shocking. not. Yeah, what? sponsor us Mars. <laughs> yes, sponsor us anybody. We're we're, we're happy to be sponsored. <laughs> uh, that'll be me, Andrew Roger Carson, also the co-host of this show. Apologies, I am a little bit unshaven today and a ruffled up mess. But this is what happens when you've got an hour to write the show because you've been busy all day. Yes. Busy masturbating, were you? Hey. You know, you've got to commit to that. And speaking of committing, Steve, oh. let's talk about what's in the box from last week to open our show. And as you remember, yeah. it was 1991, not 2007, 1991's Ooh. Alan Parker movie, The Commitments. Yes, not Neil Jordan, as I said not, to you on the phone the other yes, night. the only Irish director you seem to know. <laughs> He's like, do you not know anybody else? No. It was, oh, it's Alan Parker. Right, fine. The bloke who did Kez, I don't know. Uh, was that Alan no, Parker? No. No? Not. See, I can't even get that right. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Anyone can write in and tell him who it was, please. I just can't be asked with it anymore. <laughs> the Commitments. Commitments. Directed by Alan, Alan Parker. Parker. Yes. Um... Yeah, so The Commitments is a very, very well-known film, uh, particularly, I'd say, more so over over this side of the pond than over in the US. I remember this coming out when I was uh, when I was a kid, so 1991, I'd just be 11, heading into secondary school. And it's a story about a guy called Jimmy Rabbit, who lives on a council estate uh, in Dublin, which at the time seemed to be twinned with Mega City 1. Uh, Yes. The the post apocalypse came early. Let's put it that way, according to the film. Um, and Salford. He... Oh no, no, come on! It was far nicer than Salford. Um, <laughs> they are going to get onto us one of these days. We've already lost our Salford viewership. Oh no! What's it? What's his name? Christopher Eccleston. He's there going. I'm not watching this shite again. Um, I'm an asshole. <laughs> Do I look like an arsehole? Uh, he gets the idea to put together a band. Uh, and while everyone else is doing the modern music at the time, he says, no, we're going to make a band that is going to be playing soul music. This is going to be the, the music of the working man that reaches deep down into your groin as well as into your hips. Yes. 
try and get you moving. And so he collects together this ragtag group of uh, people, including, uh, I've, I can't remember his first name. Here we go. Glenn Hansard. I knew his Glenn surname Hansard. was Hansard. Glenn Hansard, who uh, was the, the star of Once. Yes. Which also got and, pulled out and was one of my favorites. And potentially the same character. Potentially, yeah, because he, he you never know what his character's called in Once, do you? No, there is fan theories out there that it is the same character. But yeah, Glenn Hansard, uh, he's in there. He was the first one that I kind of noticed. Um, and yeah, it's about the trials and tribulations of putting this band together. And then the initial the fallout from them all falling yes. out, basically. So the movie is, well, it's... It, it, it's a similar tale to what you've seen before, and it's still being made in movies today. Well, um, some, sometimes. Some movies, <laughs> yeah. Some movies don't get picked up. They get overlooked because yes. people don't know what it is that they've got. Um, <coughs> Rumble-rama. <coughs> so, yeah. Uh, it's it's a story about uh, entrepreneurship, and it has this wonderful soul music soundtrack, uh, which I, I'm going to say one exception. I fucking hate Mustang Sally. You mean this Mustang Sally? Mustang Sally, my baby. Yes. That Mustang Sally. The best thing I is hate... you had to root Sorry. for that clip. Yes, I did. And I had to then insert it into the show and then listen to it on repeat while I lined up the clips so it all fit nicely. Yes, thank you very bloody much. Mustang Sally, my baby. Yeah, because this film came out, everyone and his wife started doing it at karaoke. No one could do it properly. It's a boring song. There is nothing interesting about it, and it's still being done today, usually with people trying to imitate Joe Cocker. Mustang Sally, my baby. It's, oh, I hate that song with an absolute goddamn... with a Last Jedi kind of passion. <laughs> Starting strong today. Yes. Um... So, yeah, the, the characters are all, I'd, I'd say they're all very, very one-dimensional. They each serve a purpose within the movie. Um, and while there is some character growth to them, it, they don't really go through much. Like, the, the lead singer, Deco, he's, he starts off as an arsehole and ends up as an arsehole. Do I look like an arsehole? He doesn't really go through any character growth. I was I was expecting there to be a moment where he kind of realizes, oh, he's been obnoxious and he's falling out with the band. Maybe he should mend his ways. Doesn't happen. Um, and I keep hitting the microphone as I'm waving my hands around. Um, Make sure you don't get electrocuted doing that. I like this movie though. I like the humor in it. I like some of the quips. Like there's a brilliant line uh, where where. Jimmy meets uh, a, I want to say flute player, but he's not a flute, a trumpet player. Trumpet player, the guy who looks like Peter Skarsgård. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Fortunately, he isn't getting naked, unlike the Skarsgårds are want to do. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he comes back into the garden and Colin Meany, Mooney? Colin Mooney. Meany. Meany. 
I, I don't know. Chief O'Brien is there and he's tending to his pigeons. He goes, What did evil can the evil want? God sent him. What? God sent him. The fucking Suzuki. Because <laughs> he's riding this little Suzuki moped. That got me. I thought there was a cracking one-liner. And there are these lovely one-liners through the whole thing, but it's it's a movie that leans mostly on the music. Yeah. And apart one, from Mustang Goddamn Sally... The one of the greatest of selling superb. soundtracks of all time, by the way. Yeah, I can well believe that, because there's some absolute crackers in here. From There's that and the bodyguard. And I... Yeah. I'd yeah. say commitment's not... one in the UK. Must have. Sally. Oh, God, I hope so. Because if that goddamn... I... <sighs> God. Oh... We found the trigger for you. It's 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 in the soundtracks, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, to, to kind of get you back on the commitments track here, uh, as we mentioned, Alan Parker, a director, who you should yes, know from Midnight Express. Yes. But uh, is no stranger to uh, a music movie. He also did Evita a couple of years later with Madonna. Oh, God, yes, he did, didn't he? Yes, uh, also, he did the uh, very controversial movie for the time, Mississippi Burning. Which is one of my dad's favourites. Yes, exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. He was a fantastic director. He really was. But uh, even he managed to fit in. Listen, John Ashton, we have a contender here. The commitment in a movie that runs 118 minutes long has 169 fucks in it. Yes, that is definitely one to work on the fuck meter. Yes. Uh, I, I think it's it's very reflective, though, because it's based on a Roddy Doyle book. And the main thing that I know about Roddy Doyle, and I know very little about him, is that it was mentioned in an episode of Father Ted. So as soon as I saw um, Roddy Doyle on screen, I just was thinking... Have you been reading those Roddy Doyle books again, Dugan? <laughs> I have, yeah, Ted, you big gobshite. <laughs> yes. That's well, yeah, part that of the, uh, the Roddy Doyle uh, Barrytown trilogy. So this was the first one. There was uh, another one called The Snapper. And there was uh, the third one was called The Van. And all of them starred Colmini as... Uh, Chief O'Brien. No, as, as... Is it Jimmy Rabbit Sr.? Was his name Jimmy Rabbit? I think so, yeah. Yeah. He's obsessed with Elvis. Yeah, so Jimmy Rabbit Sr., uh, he played the same character in all three, but di different family members. So it's a bit strange. He, he must have got around a bit. Uh, this film also introduced us to The Cause. Yes. Now, this was a fact that I knew before watching this. I wasn't yep. sure exactly who it was that they played, but yeah, the entirety of The Cause show up at one point or another through the film. Yes. Well, Jim Corr uh, was the uh, band member in And, And, And... <laughs> the wedding dance band and uh, the actual cause sisters were among the auditionees when they came to the house and I think his sister was uh, Andrea Core. also obviously we mentioned uh, Glenn Hansard was in the movie as well uh, this is where he kind of rose to to notoriety and he became a really successful kind of singer from that in Ireland especially he's he's very well loved there he clashed with mm -hmm. Alan Parker quite a lot on this movie though oh did he uh, yeah there was a lot of arguments maybe he's ginger I don't know you know where it is yeah, it always happens you racialist 
I know. Sorry. I got a lot of ginger friends. And they can say that they've at least got one. So uh, there was a sequel. That's terrible. Yeah, some of my Looking... best friends are ginger. <laughs> Just Justice for Gingers is coming out soon, I'm telling you. Gingedis. That's what it's going to be. Gingedis oh, forever. Yeah. Hashtag. Yeah. Um, there was originally going to be a sequel to this that was long 20th century fox for quite a number of years i think as late as 1999 they were planning on doing a movie where all of the cast members reunited in new york and that's pretty bizarre to think that every single one of those characters would just happen to be in new york at the same time yeah. that's probably why it didn't get going um the voice of the commitments was andrew strong 16 years old yet looking 35 he was not 16 when he did this film. He was 16 years old. But it looks like he was about 40 years old with three kids. Yes. It he looks... looked like he was a, he was a, working on his second heart attack. I, I don't know. They must feed them something over in Ireland. They must start him on Guinness when they're like eight it years It was the old. cakes that he was piling away in one of those scenes, yeah. Yeah, and to have a voice like that, that deep at 16 years old. All you gotta do is Uh, the audition for him was kind of funny because originally it was his dad who came to audition for the commitments and apparently Andrew Strong was waiting out in the hallway and they said do you want to come in and audition he came in and pow you know suddenly he's uh, the lead singer of the commitments um this movie also is a fav one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies yeah, because uh, uh, what's the name? Who, who? Bernie. Oh, I can't. Bernie. That's it. Um, she was in uh, Pulp Fiction. Yes, the, and she's also the, about the first ever person to die in Star Wars. She was the yes, pilot in the she was the Menace. pilot of the. Yeah, she was in the Sherlock Holmes films recently. The first one. Robert I Downey she Jr. was. Yeah, yeah, the fortune teller. Uh, I had a feeling. I, I thought she was in something like that. Um, I haven't seen her in a lot, but she always kind of just crops up in little movies. Speaking of little movies that crop up, uh, do you know how you know this is an Alan Parker movie? No. Because the film is full of references to Alan Parker movies. So, okay. as an example, uh, when Jimmy Rabbit is uh, selling stuff out of his bag to people, uh, someone asks him if he's got Mississippi burning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's that. There's a scene where uh, one of the auditionees is singing Fame, which, of course, was directed by Alan Parker, the movie version. Right. And in the video store, all of the movies are like Midnight Express, Birdie, and all of them <laughs> are posters and on the wall and everything are all Alan Parker movies. It's nothing like shelling your past successes while you're making a movie. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I am going to hit you with a nice little uh, trivia. <laughs> Bit of history there, Ted. Thank you, Dougal. Um, there, there is a line. There is a line when uh, Jimmy goes to the the Dole office and uh, he says that he's struggling to get a job because he's living in a third world country. Technically, he is correct because mm -hmm. the definition of a third world country was not to do with poverty or as a status as an emerging nation, as they're now called. It was to do with political alignment, and you were a third world nation if you weren't politically aligned with either the U.S. Or Russia. Yeah. So in this case, Ireland was technically a third world country. Okay. There you go. 
I, I'm going to go on record here. I do love the commitments. Um, it was a good film. It I is. just thought that the character, they didn't have as much growth as I would have liked. I think it might be because there were so many of them. Yeah, it's hard it's to get through in such a amount of time. It is the problem when you're working with a large ensemble cast. Fucking tell me about it. But um, mm. the the thing I love about it, it, it used real locations. Right, so a lot of it is real locations. Apart from one, do you know which one is not a real location? Um, would the house? The house. Uh, the rabbit household ah. is not actually a location that was done on uh, a studio lot, I believe. So, right, because I was going to say, because most of the others, like the big halls and everything, they look... If, if there's only one, then most of those look like proper working halls. Okay. Yeah, okay, I was right. Uh, I love the score. I, I can agree with you on Mustang Sally, but I did actually own the soundtrack mm. uh, to this on CD. Uh, I love the fact that it rests on the power of unknowns. Yeah. So every actor was unknown. There are no star names. Colm Meany was probably the only one, but back then he wasn't even a name. But he's yeah. like the, the only name realistically nowadays. Uh, I think it was brilliantly cast. I think it was brilliantly orchestrated. And yeah, it had a bit of an effect on me in the days. That's probably where a lot of, you know, I, I, I use that commitments kind of setup of bringing in a, a bunch of unknowns, just looking for opportunity into the whole Rumble Rama project, which unfortunately never came to be. Yeah. And that's not just sour grapes as well. Totally uh, speaking as an independent person, read the script and it still to this day is a fantastic script. And I am so gutted that it never got made. But anyway, um, we, if we draw on that, then we're going to be drawing on it for the remainder of the evening as the alcohol starts flowing. And oh, I'm a good girl, I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, I enjoy. I enjoyed the film. Um, I wasn't expecting it to. I wasn't expecting the tone to be quite as light, particularly as how drab and dour the the setting of it is, and how kind of oppressive Dublin looked at the time. You had all the, the troubles between uh, England and uh, the, and Ireland was still at the, the still got ongoing. So it was it was very, very easy to to see that as a as a divided city and it does look divided when you look at how palatial the, the hotel and everything is that, that shows up later when Wilson Pickett's involved. Not yeah. the real Wilson Pickett, but yeah. Um but no, I enjoyed the film. I enjoyed the film. I thought it was a bit shallow in terms of character, um, character development, I should say. But no, I thought it had some pretty funny moments. There was definitely some some actual laughs from me, which is rare. So yeah, I'd give this one a thumbs up. Yeah. Bill Daly gives us a thumbs up as well when I told him we were covering it on the show. Yeah. But uh, so yes, uh, that is the commitments for this week. Now it's on to some anniversaries. Watch them again, all of the time, or we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. Can you believe it? We're nearly in springtime. Nearly. Oh, yes. I think it's... it's... The juice is flowing. Yes, Ooh. the juice is flowing. The movies that were released around Oscar season that they thought were going to completely tank her out of the door. And now it's time to get back to movies that people honestly thought this is going to be a hit. Were they? Maybe. Maybe not. Depends on your definition of it. So I have pulled out three for this week. Okay. Do, 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 right. Three. Not just three. The first one. 
The first oh, one. No. No, no, no. That's t- that's two weeks on the trot now that we've mentioned Jaws three. Can we not? There are children watching. <laughs> well, uh, there's probably children watching a lot of these movies and probably shouldn't. So let's start and go back forty years, Steve. Oh, now this God. is kind of obscure, um, but I remember it. And forty years ago, a movie by the name of Spring Break came out. No. 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 <laughs> no, well, basically, Spring Break um, wouldn't probably register on a lot of people's uh, highlights of uh, 1983. But it was a movie that was released, and it followed the National Lampoon's Animal House style. Yeah, so- that kind of caddyshack, that kind of feel. Lots of... Yes. skits with a loose framework attached to it yeah and uh losing it the one with tom cruise and jackie Yo haley in it uh but yes uh spring breakers uh was directed by sean s cunningham do you know who oh. sean s cunningham is friday the 13th uh, creator yeah he was the director of the original friday the 13th also known mm-hmm. as a producer on jason x awesome the Friday the 13th remake in 2009 by Marcus Nispel. Awesome. I like. I do like yeah. that one, yeah. I do. I watched it again recently. It's great. Uh, he's such an undervalued director in my mind. Holds up really well. Oh, it really does. And the remake of Last House on the Left, which you, one, had to question really needed to be made, and two, is just as unpleasant as the original one was. Mm. Bring break. Uh it's a very kind of questionable thing, really. I mean, you all go down to Fort Lauderdale for this huge college blowout, and that's what the movie is basically about. It's four students going on down for spring break to Fort Lauderdale. And uh, Perry Lang is one of them, and he's a producer now, and he used to work at Warner Brothers as well in the office opposite Bill Daly. So big shout-out to Perry Lang. He's on my Facebook, and I'm hoping that you do. I'm going to tag you in it so you do listen to it. Hi, Perry. Yeah. Hi, Perry. Um, hi, Perry. Um, spring break, uh, in doing a bit of research, you know, that actually pours millions of dollars into the U.S. economy, which is why Fort Lauderdale has really opened its doors for spring break. Yeah, because it's it huge. A massive thing. We, we never really get it over here. I don't think we have anything even that remotely is like that. Yeah, I think it's mostly because over here, when spring comes around, the weather is terrible. That's it is all the time. You get one week in yeah. summer, if you're lucky. If you're um, lucky. Well, this was released by Columbia Pictures in 1983. So obviously, it is full of Coca-Cola. <laughs> and it really is. There is Coca-Cola everywhere in this movie. Because Coca Cola at the time practically owned it, right? They owned Columbia. They still Bridges. do. They, they still, still do. I, mean, well, I don't know if it's... that now. Well, yes, they do. However, um, they still have a deal going with Coke. If you look at Sony movies, then they still pump out loads of stuff with Coke. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there was a big thing in about like Adam Sandler movies. They always seem to have Coke. And it, they, well, they sh- so did the nineteen eighties on every movie. Yeah, but yeah, Coca Cola. I should say yes. it's very, very prominent in Sony movies still, and Sony own Columbia, so I think that still works. Very true. Uh, but some interesting things about this: uh, Jeff Garlin 
recently released as his role of the dad in the Goldbergs by way of death <laughs> because of uh, on-set behaviour. Uh, this was his actual first ever role. It's only a small role, kind of uncredited, really, but right. you could spot him in there. And another strange thing is, when I check the producers of this, the name Barbara Dafina shows up. I don't now, know who that is. Barbara Dafina yeah. was the producer of Goodfellas and movies with Martin Scorsese. And then right. she's starting off with this sleazy spring break sex comedy movie uh, that was based on Sean S. Cunningham's youth, apparently, and his experiences of, of spring break. So he just decided to write this movie after Friday the 13th, which is weird. I don't know. If you want to make a film, then there's two ways to go. It's either sex or violence. He'd already done the violence. So then we thought, let's, th let's throw some boobs in there. Yeah. Another interesting thing in here is uh, there's a, a female boxer played by Tammy Lynn Leopard. And if you see the uh, box art cover, that is her body being modelled on it. Uh, unfortunately, she disappeared suspiciously in 1983 and has never been found. Oh. So uh, it's it's fearing that, obviously, after all this time, she's she's obviously gone, but... I think around the time the movie was being released, uh, she was just suspiciously disappeared. I'll put it that way. Okay. You can look into Ooh. that. It's a dour note to kind of end spring break on. Uh, the movie does not age well, by the way. Um, especially if you're Most a woman. of those films don't. They really <laughs> don't. If you're yeah. a woman in those films, you are either a frigid ice queen or you are there to get your boobs out. That's it. There's there's no positive female role models in any of those kind of films. At yeah. all. It's still better than Slaughter High. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Slaughter High is the benchmark for me for a movie so terrible. It's actually funny. Um, uh, Spring Break is just a movie that is there. Most people have probably forgotten about it. But uh, because we're in spring, I thought, oh, well, it's a little bit of something for 40 years ago. And it was the number one movie, so it actually did reach number one uh, for a week, spring break week. So they tied it in pretty well for a movie that was filmed the previous summer. So they reached number one, but it was a bit of a number two. Yeah, I'm not going to say too much. I might know people like uh, Perry Lang, who was involved in that. <laughs> Hi, Perry. <laughs> I hope Perry comes on the show now and says, you dickhead, that was the greatest thing I ever did. <laughs> but I got laid so much to working on that movie. Yes, you should have seen the coat. <laughs> I had five I counts. filled the cup, man. <laughs> yes, but that was uh, 40 years ago this week. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm even saying tonight. I really don't. Uh, you can tell oh. it's a Tuesday night. Okay. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, well, we're going to go back and do something you have seen. I, you must have seen this because it's right in your wheelhouse. Ten okay. years ago this week, G.I. Joe Retaliation was released. Is this the first one or the second one? The second one. Oh, I've not seen the second one. I've only seen the first one. Really? Now, yeah. that does surprise me. Did the first one kind of put you off? Uh, no, it didn't really put me off. But it was just, it was just a great big pile of meh, really. I wasn't... I, it had some nice moments in there, and I've got nothing particularly against Stephen Summers, but he does tend to put out things which are very much style over substance, very much all kinds of big CG. Yeah, he, and I think he can be guilty of that. Yeah, I mean, stuff like the Mummy, 
was the perfect balance between the two. And then the Mummy Returns were just like, yeah, no, let's just stick a load of special effects in your face. Okay. And it, it's, yeah. Okay, well, let's sit on this. Stephen Summers did not come back for the sequel. Uh, okay. Instead, it was directed by John M. Chu. Now, uh, if you've heard that name, you may know him as the director of Now You See Me 2. Or Step Up to the Streets. Or Justin Bieber, Never Say Never. Okay, so, so you see all their movies and then you see G.I. Joe. You may feel like, oh, God, but you know what? He's he's a very good stylistic director. And a lot of the cast didn't come back either. Uh, Channing Tatum did, but spoiler, uh, he dies. It was dies only for within, about 10 minutes, wasn't it? Yes, he dies within yeah. the first 10 minutes. Yeah. They're all dead. Which is what a lot of people think the reshoots were all about. Uh, when they were saying, oh, this has been put back by something like eight, nine months. And he said, it's got to be for reshoots. Uh, it wasn't. Mm. I'll get into that in a minute. I watched it again this week, and I watched the extended version. Right. Because uh, that's how I prefer to see it. If it's an extended version, they, they tend to be better, like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Etc. So I thought I'd, I'd try it out and see how it goes. Um, the first time I noticed... That on a suitcase in this movie, there is an Umbrella Corporation logo on it. From Resident Evil? Yes. Oh. Only a couple kind of returned. Uh, obviously, Dwayne The Rock Johnson was the, the big guy leading it, taking over mm. from Channing Tatum's role. Uh, Marlon Wayans didn't come back. Uh, Rachel Nichols didn't come back. Uh, Sienna Miller didn't come back as Baroness. Oh, no! Uh, Christopher Eccleston didn't come back as Destro. Do I look like an arsehole? We actually do really like you, Chris. <laughs> we do. We, but we that do. line in Gone in 60 Seconds just gets me every time. It's I absolutely know. brilliant. I but, do. I really like Gone in 60 Seconds as well. Yeah. I know. Me too. I do. Uh, yeah. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. Arnold Vosloo strangely did come back as Zartan, but his character is played by Jonathan Price. And Arnold Vosloo gets billing, but he's only in the movie in two pitches. <laughs> so two How actual the hell does that work then? Uh, well, because he's Zartan, he's the master of disguise, isn't he? And oh, okay. uses nanotech technology to change his face because obviously the Mission Impossible mask that you used to have on the toys wasn't good enough. They were determined just to get rid of any kind of vestige that Stephen Summers have brought into the franchise, weren't they? Yeah, kind of. I mean, uh, this one does actually play very strongly to the comic book and the animated series. So mm. there is a lot of crossover storylines there that appeals to both sets of fans which i do like you know that they, they have really done their homework on it um I, there was a curious link that i have found here with regards to brendan frazier and dwayne johnson okay because i know that uh brendan frazier was in the first one in a cameo and yes. he, 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 in his own kind of headcanon, he was saying he was one of Rick O'Connell's descendants. He's in G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Cobra! And Johnson takes over in G.I. Joe Retaliation. The Mummy, Brendan yeah. Fraser as Rick Connell. The Mummy spun off with The Scorpion King, <laughs> featuring Dwayne Johnson. And you Just think, the first that's, one. That's, that's kind of interesting. Oh, wait. Journey to the Center of the Earth, starring Brendan Fraser. Hang yeah. on a minute. Journey, Journey 2, to... starring Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson. You would oh swear Dwayne Johnson God. has it in for Brendan Fraser, which he probably doesn't, but it's uh, 
it is kind of strange that that is a recurring theme with anything that Brendan Fraser appears in. I'm waiting for the George of the Jungle reboot with Dwayne Johnson as George. Be oh, God, I can't wait to see where he's going to take on the whale, too. <laughs> Very true. Uh, this movie also features uh, Bruce Willis uh, as the original G.I. Joe in a kind of bit of cameo. Now, Bruce Willis was not originally supposed to be that character. Do you know who was supposed to be in that role as the original G.I. Joe? Uh, Stallone, maybe? No. You're going to love this. Oh. oh, go on then. Originally, it was supposed to be Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, really? Or Sergeant yes. Slammer? Or Sergeant Slammer. If you watch Action Force. <laughs> Full Force! God, incredibly bad dubbing. Uh, apparently terrible. what nixed it uh, was a rights issue between Hasbro and Mattel that prevented that character from appearing in the movie as himself. G.I. Joe Retaliation is still banned in Pakistan. What, because of negative representations of the country? Yes. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, as we mentioned before, yes, it was postponed for close to a year. Uh the real reasons, a lot of people said, oh, it's going through extensive reshoots. And that's why, because test audiences didn't like it. That was not the fact at all. Um, basically, there were two reasons for it. One of them was they were doing an extensive conversion into 3D. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was one. So they filmed a lot of extra scenes to make it better for the 3D experience. Its original release date fell on the same week as Magic Mike. Starring Channing Tatum. Okay. So, so they didn't want to release it on the same week. Okay. Uh, this movie is better than G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Much better. Okay. Um, I remember seeing The Rise of Cobra and thought, okay, yeah, this is a G.I. Joe movie. It's not G.I. Joe, the movie, the animated movie, which is far superior to any uh, live action version of it, including Snake Eyes, a G.I. Joe tale. But G.I. Joe Retaliation, I think, is the closest they have gotten to getting it right. Because Cobra Commander looks like Cobra Commander in this. It's mm. pretty good. And it's not Joseph Gordon-Levitt, because he didn't come back either. <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Cobra Commander. Honestly. I don't get it either. Yeah. Well, apparently he couldn't come back and do the role because he was doing the Dark Knight Rises. So I think uh, he probably chose the best one out of there. Um, I love the music in this film. Uh, it's got a really good score. And uh, the future of G.I. Joe is a bit uncertain because every single time they release a G.I. Joe movie, they're then talking about a reboot a week later. And this is kind of falling into that realm where they want to do a G.I. Joe and Transformers crossover. It's like the, the infamous Fast and the Furious and Jurassic World crossover that God, they talk about. Can they, can, they just, can they just stop? Actually, a lot of those movies, like Fast and the Furious... Just just stop. I know that you're making a lot of money, but for God's sake, just stop. But they won't. Stop. They won't because people Please will still don't see that shit. They really will. And I'll, you know, uh, there's people I know personally who've worked on those movies and, and good for them. But, you know, it's it does get a bit ridiculous. But yes, uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation, uh, I actually like it. It's guilty pleasure for me. It's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Uh, I think I've got that as a wild card in the box. So Okay, right. So one. in that case, what's the last one? Yes. Okay, the last one. Uh, we haven't escaped this guy on our show yet. <laughs> oh, no. Who is uh, that? 
20 years ago this week, Chris Rock starred in Head of State. No, I haven't seen that one. No. No. Okay. Well, no. I don't know if you're lucky or just non-post. Uh, this was Chris Rock's, uh, I believe, his directorial debut, as well as starring mm-hmm. and producing and writing. And, geez, it's like me. <laughs> it's like me trying to get a bloody series off the ground. Jesus. Yeah. But, um... Write the theme state... tune, sing the theme tune. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It might come to that, yeah. Um, yeah. This was... Uh, some saw this as a, a Chris Rock vanity project. Where it was, oh, Chris Rock is the first black president back in a time when there was never a black president. And yeah, I'd love to say it was kind of an original idea, but the fact that right at the same time, Chris Tucker was making a very similar movie, apparently called Mr. President, uh, that he was developing at the same time. Head of State got made first, and uh, his Chris Tucker's movie got shelved when Obama actually became president, because I think it then became redundant to do a comedy about a black man never being president. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So Chris Tucker basically, I probably just went back and did Rush Hour 3. <sighs> yeah. It, it's amazing. You have the first black president and directly following it, the first orange president. So, you know, I'm glad to see that we're breaking down those barriers. Yes, yes. Uh, I watched Head of State again this week for the first time, um, and I never really realised a bunch of things. One, uh, the movie basically is just a Chris Rock stand-up routine made into a movie. I asked my niece the other day, what's four plus four? She said 44. Let me hear you say, that ain't right. Uh, because all of, his, all of his jokes are there like it is a stand-up routine. It's like when... Um, they made that movie Maybe Baby that was based on Ben Elton's memoirs and you saw so many of the jokes that he'd done in stand-up routines actually in a movie oh, form. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Oh, yeah, God, yes, I have. I've seen that. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, it Sadly. was fine if you hadn't seen Ben Elton's stand-up scene, stand-up concerts where he's talked about the exact things you are now seeing, you know, about carrying a pot of sperm up your butt to keep it warm. And yeah, and yeah, then it's in the movie exactly the way he says it during a stand-up routine. He even even did all those stand-up routines later on because he he disappeared from British screens for a while. Going off on a tangent, disappeared off British screens for a while yes. after doing things like The Man from Auntie because he was doing all kinds of musicals. And then when he came back, he was doing new tours and everything, but it was still the same old material. Yes, it was the, it was the same old jokes. Just it, it was shocking, so it wasn't any surprise to me when I did actually see Maybe Baby that it was all the same recycled thing. It was yeah. it was all this shtick. Well, it wasn't the only recycled thing uh, that was in Head of State. Uh, there is a scene during the uh, presidential debate where they basically verbatim repeat the Monty Python argument clinic sketch. Really? And yes, it is word for word. Look, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. And, you know, if it's an homage, that's fine. That's fine, yeah, but that's a direct rip-off by the sounds of it. Yeah, to me it was like a direct rip-off. But there were some interesting things in this movie also. Uh, I nearly, nearly got a huge smile on my face when at one scene in it, they're playing the Ready to Rumble boxing video game. Okay that I absolutely used to love 
when it came out. That was among my first PlayStation 2 games. Actually, no, it was one of my first Dreamcast games back in the day. We're sneaking game references into the show again. What's going on? Also, uh, something interesting in this. Uh, TNA Wrestling mm-hmm. made its big screen debut in this movie. Featuring, Did it? Uh, Ron Killings, Jeff Jarrett, and a few others actually get to beat uh, Chris Rock up in a wrestling ring. And I think that may be the only time TNA Wrestling has ever appeared in a movie back when it was fresh and it was going to take over the WWE. We're still waiting. Yeah. Um, Will Smith's watching that going, how the hell can I join TNA? Do you want to know something incredibly special that actually takes this movie up into a go higher on, echelon? You're going to tell me anyway, so come on. Yeah, I know. Well, I was going to tell you. Uh, I was so chuffed to realize that this was Elizabeth J. Carlisle's debut in a feature movie. Was it? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello. Oh, we, we miss and love you, Elizabeth. I can't, we yeah. can't wait to see you again. Uh, yeah, we'll we're going to have to bring you on. It's got to be the 100th. The 100th, I'm telling you. 113th. Yeah. 113th. <laughs> we, need, we need a bit of red. We need a bit of red on our show. Um, the, I mean, this film has some good things. I mean, Chris Rock is good in it. You know, he, he's very kind of comfortable on the screen. Bernie Mac is great in it. Uh, Lynn Whitfield is great in it. Robin Givens, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, she feels incredibly out of place in it. Uh, right. It doesn't even look comfortable doing the movie. I don't know what it is. But yes, uh, Head of State, it's all right. You know, in the current craze of Chris Rock at the moment, that is probably already starting to wane because people have talked about it constantly for a couple of weeks and now the Oscars is over with. Um, you can rediscover it if you've not seen it. There's some nice little things in there. It easily passes its running time. And, uh, you know, it did some decent money at the time. Okay. Well, fair enough. I mean, the, the comedy's going to be hit and miss. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. You know, I mean, some people will probably find it absolutely hilarious. But, you know, it's a matter of taste. You can't really judge judge comedies too harshly, really, because they are so subjective. But okay, then. Yes. Right. And it's worth spotting for Elizabeth J. Carlyle. Yeah. Hi, Elizabeth. It's worth to watch any movie. All right, so that was three lovely, lovely choices, none of which that I've seen this week. So sometimes it's okay. a little bit hit and miss. I was surprised by G.I. Joe. I thought you would have jumped on that. Yeah, like I said, I saw the first one. It was just a big pile of meh, uh, you know, so I didn't really want to open that box one more time. And speaking of opening a box... What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Such a good segue. I, w- I was tempted to show you the box, but then I thought, no, you know what? The mystery of uh, oh, not seeing the box, but you can see me at least open the papers. I have genuinely, I have never seen this box. I don't know if it's an actual cardboard box. I don't know if it's like a plastic Tupperware thing that he used to keep biscuits in. I don't know if it's just, I don't know, a bag that he's calling a box or, or if it's a hat. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, this is great. If I put it in that way round, I look I look like I'm in the nineties. It is a box. But if I show the box, then that's it. There's no surprise. You know, everyone will then have a vision of what the box is. 
I'd rather them have their own things. Anyway, it's not important what the box looks like. It's what is in the box that counts. Uh, anyway, explain the rules of what's in the box. We haven't done it for a while. No, not since last week. Uh, well, while I'm going to be gabbling this to you, uh, my lovely, lovely co-host is going to be pulling out the name of a movie which he certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes out of the... Oh, he's got one there. Out of the box. Now, if I have seen it, then he's just going to keep on pulling out names of movies into... Uh, blah, blah, blah. If I have seen it, then he's just going to keep pulling out names of movies until... <laughs> Shut your face! Getting there. L- listen to how tense this music is getting while we're waiting. Mm. If I have seen it, then he's going to keep pulling out names of movies until we find one that I haven't seen, and then I'm going to go away and watch it before we record the next episode, and then that's what forms the review at the start of this show. Yay! And you're all there saying, was that it? Okay. That's it. <laughs> okay. Steve. Yes. Are you ready? I feel like we should have the lights going down or something. No, 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 no. Not for this, because I'm, I'm sure, 100% sure you've seen it. Okay. Uh, Steve, the first mm-hmm. one out of the box. Adam's Family Values. Yes. <laughs> the cinema there we go. Oh, did you? Yes, I did. Okay. Let's get number two from the box. Just one, thank you. Jesus. Okay, it's getting tense. We're going for number two. I'll be back, I'll be back in a minute. Okay, number two. Ooh, actually, this has been spoken about quite a lot online. Okay. Um, from 1998. All right. Okay. Dark City. Dark City. No. Alex, uh, Alex, Alex Porus. What is it? Poyas? Prius? 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 I thought it was Alex Prius. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He, all I know is that he Alex, directed the I'm Pro. tagging you in this episode and, and let us know. Yes. And you can but, uh, slap me for being such a philistine. But no, I haven't seen gonna, Dark City. Oh, You know what? You're going to love this because I know how much you love film noir and you love mm-hmm. science fiction. Yeah. And you love Richard O'Brien. So I think you're going to... Uh, Really enjoyed this movie. I can't believe you've not seen yeah. it. That's incredible. Yeah, it's always been one of those movies which has been lurking on the periphery of my uh, my little circle of enjoyment. And I know that it's... That it's... Easy now. Careful, Tiger. Um, and I know that it's got some some hints to do with uh, like the view of the world, which is similar to what The Matrix did a couple of years later. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, let's give this a whirl. I do remember it coming out when it was in college, though, and there being yes. a fair bit of buzz about it. So, Well, realistically now, you've got to think, are you going to watch the original theatrical version or the director's cut? I'm going to try and get a hold of the director's cut. Good. Very yes. good choice. Where basically they just uh, kind of blade run in it. They just take the voiceover out that is not needed. It's great. We're, and if you people uh, have not seen it, watch it also and then join us next week. Uh, as we discuss it and find out a little history about it and find out what Steve thought about Dark City. Yes, and if you want to get involved in the conversation, then you just need to look down here to the to the bottom corner 
right where I'm pointing, and that gives you all the links to all our socials. We're on facebook.com forward slash Pottywood. We're on Twitter at Pottywood. You can reach us on LinkedIn, or you can catch us on Reddit, which is r slash Pottywood. Yes, we're there. Yes. If you sign up to our Patreon, you can listen to these audio episodes just before the video episode gets released. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to the gym or something and you just want to listen to an audio episode, you can get it through our Patreon. Yep. And uh, Price of a cup of coffee for a month's entertainment early. Yeah. What can can you... Exactly. Yeah. Um, We also, uh, if you are interested in sponsoring Pottywood, we are open to sponsorships, but... The more important thing for us all is subscribers. We want some subscribers. Just follow us. Just follow us. You get alerted when a new episode goes up. You can watch it straight away and uh, tell all your friends the spoilers of what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, do it. I I think that's that's what we want. That's what we want. We need you people. Come on. Help us help you. Yeah, click the button. Get involved in the conversation. Uh, For right now, though, it is a goodbye from me. And I guess I've got to leave as well, uh, because otherwise I'm going to be all on my own. Obama's elf with Mustang Sally. Ah!